Bringing you 100% solely Mishana news and community information. This is News Source 1 Mishana. Let your social media friends know. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. If you would have met me about 15 years ago, I would have told you that I believed in God. And you would have noticed it didn't really impact much how I lived. But then I read Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer and it rocked me. Tozer wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Have you ever thought that your thoughts of God define who you are? Tozer will go on to write that we go into decline any time our concept of God declines. So friend, do you want a loftier view of God? Let's listen in on the prayer of David in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit. And when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. David's meditation in the first six verses is basically this. God, you know me completely. You know me better than I know me. Wherever I go, whatever I do, before I speak a word, (laughs) you know it all together. And I cannot even begin to wrap my mind around this. Friend, you ever pause to contemplate the wonder of God's absolute knowledge? In Galatians 4.2, Paul is writing of how his readers used to be enslaved idols. But then he writes, But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Do you hear Paul correcting himself in mid-sentence? The glory of the gospel is not that you came to saving knowledge of God, but rather that God has entered into your life to know you truly, intimately, totally. Now, if you take that into the core of your being, you know what your next thought will be? I need to run and hide. But that's not possible, friend. Verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. David moves from God you know me to God you are with me. If I'm in heaven, in the grave, if I'm shooting around the sun, if I'm on the other side of the ocean, if I'm in the darkness, you are there. Do you ever feel alone? Forgotten? Neglected? Ignored? Friend? Smash those dark thoughts that come from the pit of hell and remember who your God is. He is the God who promises to never leave you or forsake you, Deuteronomy 31.6. His plan was to know you and to be with you before you were able to know or be located, verses 13 to 18. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, 
when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Derek Kidner writes well, Any small thoughts that we may have of God are magnificently transcended by this psalm. Yet, for all its height and depth, it remains intensely personal from first to last. My friend, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We've all seen the ultrasounds of babies in their mother's womb. And I know you've never seen crochet needles fashioning your precious life. It's a metaphor, but it is no less remarkable to try and fathom. God has a purpose in his forming and fashioning you, and he planned out every day of your life. Now brace yourself for the ending. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from you, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. How does David jump from the wonder of God to the hatred of sinners? It's actually simple, my friends. When you gain a greater vision of God, the anomaly of evil and boastful, ignorant men who in full view of God defy him, it becomes unbearable. And notice, this hatred is not only directed at others, David directs it at himself, asking God to search every nook and cranny in his own heart to find anything amiss. My friend, the good news is nothing can separate you from the love of God. So make it your daily desire to do holy war on anything that will impede your worship of your holy God. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Today we come to David's last psalm and David goes out with a bang. Psalm 145 has a celestial high view of God's glory. Listen, Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. 
The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Wow! David goes out with a bang, praising God's greatness and his comprehensive care for creation. This is the A to Z of unceasing praise as David marvels at how one generation passes the praise baton to the next so that humanity never stops glorifying their God. And the baton is now in our hands, friends. As I meditate on Psalm 145, I ask myself, Joel, where is your wonder meter at? How amazed by the Almighty are you? Is God your primary joy and glory? A.W. Tozer once wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What do you think about that? God, the glorious, uncreated one who stands outside of time and space, he created and placed men, you and me, in a material world, and we have a brief moment in it before eternity comes. And whether we live as those spellbound by his greatness, or if we don't, means everything. God hardwired us to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. So what happens when we short circuit? When thoughts of God are low, the inevitable alternative is a high view of man. If we don't live for God, we will begin living for ourselves. And as we begin to think and live as functional atheists, we begin to malfunction. Listen to John Piper. If you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. Friends, as our wonder meters drop to negligible levels, we will find our eyes more and more fixed on created things that don't last, and then our lives become a short-lived scramble after ever-diminishing pleasures. So Joel, what do we do? Well, friends, we need to stoke to flames the embers in our hearts of the wonder of God, to cultivate in us awe over the great God who is the source of all joy. And Psalm 145 is a great start. 21 white-hot verses that compel us to praise God. Read, memorize, and meditate on passages of that place you and I will one day stand, the heavenly throne room. Think of Isaiah 6 or read Revelation 4, where stunning angels fall down and ceaselessly worship Almighty God. Consider Isaiah 40, where God measures all the oceans in the palm of his hand. I can't even hold a tablespoon in mind without spilling it. Oh, and then God calls out the starry hosts 
and these super giants march out one by one before the greater one who has named them all. And friend, when you're absolutely overwhelmed at the infinitude of your glorious God, then turn to the gospel accounts where this same God takes up the humble posture of a peasant baby, our Lord Jesus Christ, who came into our time and space to meet us gentle and lowly and to offer his life on the cross as a ransom for us. And why did he do it? Why did God die? So that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. 2 Corinthians 5.15 So let's praise God over the wonder of that. My friends, remember who you are and who you belong to. Have you ever been in a broken relationship? Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever been unfriended? So was Jesus. He gets us. All of us. Visit hegetsus.com. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. Today we come to Psalm 144, a Psalm of David. Let's break it down and find a few takeaways. Psalm 144. Praise be to the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He's my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. I confess when I read these first verses, a battle scene from the movie Saving Private Ryan comes to mind. There's this American sniper up in a tower named Jackson, and the scene below him is brutal. The Germans are overrunning this town and the Allied troops there. Many of Jackson's fellow soldiers are dead, wounded, or being picked off one by one. As Jackson surveys what is happening below, he realizes he has to do all he can while he can at the cost of revealing his location. So he begins to quote these verses from Psalm 144, praising God who trained his hand for war, his fingers for battle. Friend, you're on a battlefield, and I hope that you understand who God is for you, how powerful he is, how loving and protective he is. He's a refuge to all who turn to him. King David understood this, how God was his source of strength. David may have killed Goliath, took out tens of thousands on the battlefield, but David gives all the credit to God. Friend, all you have and all you've done is to God's credit. Don't ever take for granted how great God is or who you are in comparison. Verses 3 and 4. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them, they're like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. After considering mighty God, David now looks at us and says, How is it that you, the almighty eternal God, would care for little us? Friend, you ever pause to think about how brief our lives are? We're actually reading something written thousands of years ago. How many who have read this have come and gone? How many are remembered by us today? After we go, how long will we be remembered? And what about us will have mattered? Friends, all that matters in the end is that you matter to God. And you do matter to God. Psalm 144 tells us that we are on God's mind. God cares for us. God is concerned for us so much so that the Son of God came onto our battlefield and conquered our enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And Jesus is now at the Father's right hand in glory. 
So that means we are now simply waiting for God to act again, which is what David prays next. Verses 5 through 11. Part your heavens, Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightnings and scatter the enemy. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down your hand from on high. Deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-string lyre I will make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword. Deliver me, rescue me from the hands of foreigners, whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. David asks God to rip open the heavens and scatter the enemies. Now the enemies David describes here are not what you'd expect. These enemies are not showing their fists. They want a handshake. They're extending their right hands, though their mouths are filled with lies. This is the world we live in. How many folks just want everyone to get along? And while we as Christians don't want or promote hostility, we cannot join with those who promote lies and reject God and want everyone to follow suit. But David trusts God will act and will make all things right in the world. He's so certain that he tells God, I'm going to be the very first one to praise you with a new song after you deliver us. And then he finishes this psalm by praying for God's people. Then our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants, and our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There will be no breaching of walls, no going into captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Now, friends, I'm no prosperity preacher. Pastor Joel will never promise that God will give you lots of children, houses filled with toys, or a trouble-free life if you simply confess, pray, or believe enough. Why not, Pastor Joel? Because Jesus prayed and believed better than any of us, and he got none of those things. And we're called to follow him, take up our cross, looking to the future glory ahead. So while we cannot presume on any of these things, we can pray for them. And delight in God if they do come. God actually created a good world so that we would love him more. Because that is the truly blessed life. Which, by the way, is the way this psalm ends. Blessed is the people whose God is the Lord. Friends, having the Lord is the greatest blessing of all. Remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church and today we come to one of the Pauline Psalms. Now you may be thinking, Pastor Joel, the Apostle Paul is a New Testament writer and the Psalms are in the Old Testament. And you're absolutely right, my friend. But Martin Luther called Psalm 143 a Pauline Psalm. Let's see why. Psalm 143. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works. 
and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, for my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your namesake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemy. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Derek Kidner writes of this psalm, Every phrase here is so heavy with distress that no sufferer need feel unique in what he experiences. This is a psalm of David, yet it is in our Bibles for us as well. You see, in this psalm we're being taught how to come to God when we or perhaps someone we love is called to go through fiery trials. As I was looking through this, I was stunned at how comprehensive this psalm is. In the face of great distress, I count out 15 different requests made of God. Look it over and you'll find petitions to God for mercy, for his presence, for his love, direction, for rescue, guidance, for preservation, for the spirit, for deliverance from enemies that want to destroy. This makes Psalm 143 a wonderful reference for us in teaching us how to pray not just for rescue, but for godliness while living in a fallen world. And there's another thing that makes Psalm 143 so helpful. It's a psalm that Luther called Pauline because there is nothing of entitlement in it. David said in verse 2, Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. He's asking for mercy. David does not expect God to help him because he's worthy or deserving, and neither should we, my friend. You may have worked hard in your life to get somewhere, and... For whatever reason, it didn't work out. You may have been wrongly attacked, accused. You may have just been dealt a bad hand of cards in this life. Of course, we come to God upset about what's going on. But should you ask God to give you what you think you deserve? That, my friend, is a posture we dare not take with holy God. Paul, like Luther, tried to live lives deserving of heaven. And both discovered the bad news is that we all deserve hell. We don't want to ask God to give us what we deserve. But the gospel gives us the good news, as Luther noted. He wrote, To those who believe in Christ, there are no works so bad as to accuse and condemn us. But again, there are no works so good that they could save and defend us. Our good works do not make God our debtor in any way. But at the same time, God in his righteousness and the righteousness of Christ can and will save and deliver us out of any distress when it is good for our souls and to the glory of our Savior. And this is the proper prayer posture. Did you happen to notice how God-centered David's requests are? He said, In your faithfulness and righteousness come to my relief. For your namesake, Lord, preserve my life. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. David frames his prayer by saying it's for God's namesake. His reputation is at stake here. Don't gloss over that. David is saying, 
it's in your best interest, God, to answer my prayer. Now, it's in David's best interest as well, but David has decentered himself. David is not saying, save me, God. After all, I've worked pretty hard. I'm, I'm pretty good. I've done a lot for you. No. David says, preserve your great name as the righteous, faithful God of unfailing love who shows mercy to those who look to you. And that is how our prayer should be. God-centered, seeking God's glory. God, after all, sent his son Jesus to die to be our righteousness. So do you really want to try and plead your own? And it is out of the loving heart of God that he now invites you to experience the ultimate joy of his glory as he works to make you like his own beloved son. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Have you ever been in a broken relationship? Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever been unfriended? So was Jesus. He gets us. All of us. Visit hegetsus.com. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel. Psalm 142 begins, of David, when he was in the cave. This refers to a time when David was forced to hide like a hunted animal from the bloodthirsty King Saul. You read the bigger story in 1 Samuel, how David went from living in Saul's house like an adopted son. In fact, Saul's son, Jonathan, loved David like his own soul. And then David was blindsided. Saul's jealousy over his popularity led him into a blind rage. Saul accused and then attacked David. And David's relationships came to a tragic end. This traumatized David, made him a man of sorrows throughout his life. How do you know, Joel? Because of all David's psalms about Saul. David wrote of Saul in Psalm 18, again in Psalm 52, 54, 57, 59, Psalm 63. And just when you think David has moved on, we haven't heard a peep about Saul for almost 80 psalms. And then we hear again, the cry of a soul still troubled and back again in the cave. Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Friend, have you experienced in your past a great loss, a bitter betrayal? perhaps a malicious personal attack? What do you do about a haunting memory that gets triggered by certain sights, sounds, smells? It's like a dark shadow that follows you everywhere. The Bible teaches it's okay if we cannot get past trauma and encourages us to bring it again and again and again to God. Past trauma is the soul from which God inspired David to write psalm after psalm after psalm. Despite being a brave soldier, David never got over being in the bullseye of a beloved. 
It's one thing to be wounded by an enemy. The knife twists when it's in the hand of someone you love. And it produces the emotional roller coaster that is Psalm 142. It begins with David complaining, and this language here is intense. David's saying, God, I played music to soothe Saul. I defeated Goliath for him. I did nothing wrong, and what did I get for my kindness? Friends, we can and should complain to God. Don't stores have complaint departments that we go to over a bad deal? How much more should we go to the God whose inventory encompasses everything and everyone? David talks openly about his loneliness. Three times David says, I have no one. He says, God, no one is concerned for me. No one cares for my life. Have you ever felt utterly isolated? Take it to God. David shares how he was hunted by those far stronger than him. He says, God, set me free from this prison. Have you been abused by powerful enemies, victimized and unable to escape? Dear soul, let your troubles train you to pray. Call out to God and see what happens. Derek Kidner notes you find three summits here that pull David out of the dark valley. Three times where David gains new perspective. When David's spirit is fainting, he discovers in verse 3, It is you, God, who watches over my way. What a relief it is to discover that God was hovering over you the whole time, ever watching to make sure you would not lose your way to himself. David crests the second summit as he sees God as his portion in the land of lonely living. Verse 5, God is and has been the only one who is always there and never left him. And David recognizes the crisis of the cave. The prison is not his end because of who his God is. There's a future celebration of the righteous over God's goodness that David will attend. Friend, we stand on the other side of the cross from David. We know that God sent Jesus to set the prisoners free so that they might glorify God and enjoy him forever. That means your future will have a rewinding of the tape of your sorrows, and you'll see it replayed to find every plea transformed to praise, every pain to pleasure, every perdition to pure perfection. You may be saying, well, thanks for the future promise, Pastor Joel, but what about the present pain? Friend, in the now you have someone who understands. Go to Jesus. Jesus understands because he was made like us in every respect, Hebrews 2.17. Jesus walked our hurting earth and tasted our anguish. G.K. Chesterton once noted, and rightly, that you never hear Jesus smile in any scripture account. Now, my first reaction to Chesterton was to recall the verses where it was reasonable to assume Jesus smiled. And I do believe Jesus smiled. But there's a reason there is no explicit reference. Because Jesus was a man of sorrows. That was not simply because the cross that awaited him. It is because Jesus saw into every heart. And Jesus never met a soul who is not lonely, wounded, or trapped. It would be hard to smile. It would be natural to sorrow. So friend, let your present pain lead you to the Lord who knows and wears wounds like your own. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. Hi, I'm Pastor Joel of Heart City Church. We're sampling the Psalms and today we come to Psalm 141. 
Now in Psalm 140, David spoke of the wicked who sought to slander and bring disaster on himself and God's people. And David prayed that God would let these evil men drink their own medicine. Now we're going to hear David pray the same in Psalm 141, but not before he turns the spotlight on himself. David will confess, I too am prone to open my mouth and say what I shouldn't. And my heart is drawn to evil so that I will do wickedness. Listen to David pray. God, do something about evil men, but first, do something about evil me. Psalm 141 I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in wicked deeds, along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and the wicked will learn that my way words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while I pass by in safety. Psalm 141 is a perfect follow-up to Psalm 140. In Psalm 140, David speaks to God of evil men who are slandering him. In Psalm 141, David speaks to God of evil me, how he is no different from them apart from grace. Charles Spurgeon once said, Well, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. David recognizes how bad off he is and says, God, put a guard on my mouth. This ought to give us pause. We live in a very divided culture where judgment and slander is constant. Progressives versus conservatives. We have gun control, climate change. Everyone has an opinion and casts the opposition in a bad light. Are Christians asking God to help them guard their mouths? For the last couple of years, many of the most vulnerable, the elderly, were dying from the spread of COVID. And a whole lot of folks slandered those who refused to get the vaccine. And many evangelical Christians got angry, did not guard their mouths, and were among the loudest voices in claiming autonomy over their own bodies. And now comes the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And many of these anti-vaxxers now reject the argument of those saying, my body, my choice, while they judge abortion advocates for failing to love the most vulnerable infants in the womb. Do you think they might have done better to have guarded their lips for the last couple years? We like to point out those who are the bad guys and slander them. Black hats on these people, white hats on them. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, writing about the Russian gulag, said well, If only it were all so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But listen, but the line dividing good and evil 
cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. Solzhenitsyn puts his finger on what David understood when he prayed, Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil. David admitted that the division between good and evil ran through his own heart, and he asked for God to send a righteous man to rebuke him. It would be a kindness. Have you ever prayed for that? Has God ever sent someone to rebuke you, and you saw it as God's kindness? Yeah, I'm wrestling over my own answers to those questions. But I'm also encouraged to better fix my eyes on God and what he is up to as this convicts me. And I start to pray for help and start to pay attention to warnings of the snares that are everywhere. Friends, we live in a day where we have such great opportunity to give witness to the grace of God. You see, people expect us to be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger. What if we as Christians chose to live to a distinctly different rhythm than the world? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. James 1.19 We would be living such questionable lives that we would find opportunity to speak of the hope of Jesus Christ. I think we are prone to make others out to be evil, often because we are afraid to face the evil within. But the good news of the gospel is what Tim Keller says so well. In Christ, I'm not just more sinful than I ever dared fear, but more loved than I ever dared hope. My friend, remember who you are and who you belong to. News Source 1 Missiana, Elkhart, South Bend.